Okay, I think we're ready. Hello, good to see you. If I've not yet had the privilege to meet you or I'm a stranger to you, let me take this opportunity to introduce myself. For most of you, though, I think we have met and you have warmly welcomed Linda and I on previous occasions. But my name is Bauer Evans and it's my privilege not only in just a moment to serve you from God's Word, but to take a moment and introduce uh, my wife to you who's with me this morning. But I serve as the senior pastor at Crossway Church, which is a church related to you through our partnership with Sovereign Grace Ministries. Crossway Church uh, presently resides in Franklin, Massachusetts. Uh, we, like you, uh, are or were a church plant that for many years rented school spaces. And by God's grace and for His glory, the last Sunday in March, we occupied our permanent facility, what was a 40-year-old abandoned Baptist church building that was started in 1968, never completed, owned by four previous owners, including now us, and some of you, the Browns, uh, to to mention one family have visited us. Uh, It is a testimony, not to us, but to God's marvelous, surprising, relentless, effusive grace that my church family gathers there this morning heralding the gospel to those that draw near. So we're glad to be here, but we're glad also to be welcomed by you. It is a privilege in our partnership with Sovereign Grace to have a sister church only 90 minutes from where we are. And what that means for our guests, uh, Sovereign Grace Ministries is not a denomination, although it may seem like that. Uh, We do share a common doctrinal statement And we are joined together by a common mission, that mission being to plant churches in communities like Bradford to both herald the gospel, its good news, as well as demonstrate the transforming effects of the gospel in our lives through a congregation that gathers weekly and in our homes and does life together to celebrate God's grace. We share that mission together with you, and it's my privilege to serve you this morning Really, as a friend, uh, although it may sound formal, what we most enjoy about our relationship with the Buckleys is we are friends first, friends brought together because of Christ and that gospel and that mission together. But we'll also enjoy fellowship. We open up our lives. We talk about those areas of our lives that can at times be difficult to talk about, which is just sin in our, in our hearts and where we need and want God's grace to lay a fresh hold there. But also we have fun. And so, if Paul's late today for the family meeting, that's because Bauer and Linda are having fun with him. But he won't let us be too late. And uh, he's graciously invited us to come. We weren't. It's coincidental. We're not there. Um, I asked him if any votes were going to be taken, and he said, no, we don't take votes. And I said, maybe I could suggest a vote. And he said, no, you're just a guest this afternoon. But friends, too. Well, I'm here with my best friend and my uh, dear bride of 20 years. Next Sunday after church, we will pull away and celebrate God's faithfulness to us and in 20 years of marriage. So Linda is here with me and we're actually on time this morning because Linda drove And 
and suggested as we were heading to seeing signs for New Hampshire that I need to recheck the navigator and uh, call Paul and make sure we were heading in the right direction. Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 85. At Crossway Church, we have been, we recently completed a series entitled The God of Restoration. Ironically, the building where that series was given is a building that has been restored, painfully, beautifully restored to almost like new. And it seemed fitting to look at that theme as we find it in the Old Testament and the New. And this morning we're going to look at the theme of restoration through Psalm 85. The more I study Scripture, the more I have come to appreciate that the Bible is a picture book in many ways, not because your Bible includes pictures or illustrations, but the language of the Bible is wonderfully graphic and visual, isn't it? Again and again, God reaches into our world, the world that we can see, and presents a picture to illustrate spiritual truths to help us grasp His love. And these word pictures splash across practically every page of the Bible from the sower whose seed is sown to the treasure that is found in the field from the cross to be carried to the hiding place. God is from our enemies. Word pictures help us to know God and to know how much God cares about us and our world. One modern word picture not found in your Bible, but which captures this passage, I believe, is the picture of a broken down house. We've all seen them, those sagging, dilapidated dwellings that look as if they are in physical pain. The broken down house is a picture of of the world we live in and, sadly, the world within your and my hearts. Perhaps it is the pain that greeted you this morning as you got out of bed and you desire relief. Perhaps it is the devastating news from the south as rivers rise and dwellings are destroyed and an entire group of people's lives are changed forever. Perhaps it is the hurtful thing a friend said to you, a parent spoke to you, or you spoke to them that haunts you this morning. Perhaps it is just the reality, as we were reminded so eloquently in communion, that we're fallen people, and sin makes a mess of all of our lives. We are like that broken down house, spiritually speaking. And yet we see in the Old Testament and in the New, Jesus Christ is the God of new beginnings. He lives to give new beginnings. So when trouble seems to seek us out and life overwhelms us, our Lord is a constant help and we are able to take to Him our troubles, finding fresh grace, new power, a new start. But sometimes, and this will be pertinent to your passage this morning, sometimes we feel overwhelmed, sometimes we feel lost because we 
have squandered God's grace. We feel discouraged because we have forgotten God's blessings. We feel depressed because our affections have cooled for God and we have wandered away from the faith we claim to hold dear. It's moments like these where we wonder privately, is there a way back? Is it even possible to live for God again? What does God promise to us when we forget his blessings? What does God say to us when we squander his grace? What does God say to us when we turn away from him? The answer from Psalm 85 is emphatically clear. Jesus Christ lives. He lives to give you a new beginning. Let's read this beautiful psalm together. And then we'll ask for God's spirit to help us respond in faith. Reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the words of our God. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what, the, what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them, not, let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps a way. May God bless the preaching of his word, and may God bless our hearts as we worship him with our response. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. And thank you for the privilege to consider this psalm with our dear friends at King of Grace Church. Lord, in this psalm is found a prayer, oh, even a promise of what is true and has been true from the very beginning and is true till now. Jesus Christ lives to give us new beginnings. We pray, Lord, this morning would be a new beginning in all of our hearts as we lay hold of the grace found here and respond with faith to your promises. Help us, Spirit of God, this morning, awaken within us a fresh desire, a new hope, a new understanding 
to believe the good news found here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God loves to give new beginnings to people. Psalm 85 is a prayer for restoration that is intended to stimulate our own prayers in asking God to give us a new beginning such as only He can give. I'm going to do something that I maybe is uncharacteristic. I'm going to move the application of the sermon up to the very front, and I'm going to tell you what I believe this sermon tells us to do. This psalm is intended to inspire you to ask God for one thing. One thing. And it's this. A new beginning in that area of your life where you feel lost. A new beginning. A fresh start in that relationship where you feel lost. A new beginning. A fresh start in your church where you want God to move again. That's what this psalm, I believe, is in Scripture intended to do, to arouse within us prayers and faith and desires for Jesus Christ, who lives to give new beginnings. Now, there are four sections in this psalm, and I'm conscious of of time, and so we may not be able to, we'll cover certainly all four sections, but not be able to develop all four equally in depth. And I'm grateful to my teachers this week who I'll give attribution throughout that have helped me think about this psalm and apply it as well. The first section, verses 1 through 3, celebrates past blessings. We'll look at that. Beginning in verse 4 through verse 7, the psalmist with his congregation faces, honestly, present distresses. In verses 8 through 9, he leads, he leads the gathered people to Await God's future blessing. And the psalm concludes beginning in verse 10, anticipating, anticipating heavenly, heavenly rest. I do have some teachers this week. First, let me acknowledge that Dr. John Goldengay, a scholar in Hebrew, his commentary on the Psalms has taken me by the hands throughout this entire series and has been very, very helpful. Secondly, a church planter, as well as author, I believe a book that once was found in your bookshop, you bought it and maybe read it, titled When God Comes to Church, A Biblical Model for Revival Today, Dr. Raymond Ortland, who's with the Acts 29 network of church planters, features Psalm 85 in his book, and finally our friend Paul Tripp, whose commentary on God's grace and restoration is found in all Israel. So my first point this morning is that God delights to restore, to restore us again. Let's pick it up again in verse 1 through 3. God delights to restore us again. This is what the psalmist has written. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Look down in your Bibles and make a note of that phrase. The fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew your wrath. You turned, you turned from your hot anger. The psalmist begins by celebrating 
the blessings God has given to his people in the past, particularly the blessings on the land. We see that in verse one. It says again, Lord, you were favorable to your land. The psalmist is leading his congregation to look back gratefully to a time in the past where God did something great for his people. We are not told exactly what God has done, are we? But we are given a hint in verse 1. It says he was favorable to the land. So when this psalm was written, Israel was agricultural. During the period of history when this psalm was written, perhaps scholars have suggested the nation faced a horrific drought in that their society depended on a harvest, perhaps Perhaps the psalmist is remembering with the people of God a time when the nation faced a catastrophic drought and God in his mercy sent the rain and restored the harvest. There is a sense in the Hebrew of God's delight to show favor to the land because of the people who dwelt there. God was delighted to pour out his blessing on the land If you will, as Dr. Golden Gang notes, his chest filled with pride, with great delight in his heart because of his great love for the people who lived there. So there is a story here, isn't there? There's a backstory, but the psalmist chose not to tell us. We aren't given the particular details, but we are told this. The land whose fortune was restored was the land of Jacob. Ah, Jacob. Now that's a name that has a story worth recounting. Jacob, Isaac's son, who through deception and treachery stole from his family something very valuable and then ran as a fugitive into the wilderness. And in fleeing his family, he fled his community, he fled his land. Jacob was fleeing from God. The psalmist recounts a time when God restored the fortunes of Jacob. In other words, we're reading a psalm that's written to a group of people that has squandered God's grace, has been blessed, exceedingly blessed, and forgot his blessings. Like Jacob, one of the chosen children of God, one of the patriarchs who fled God's presence, who fled the community of God, who through treachery and deception and and sin squandered God's blessing. And it's this nation whose forefather has that as his resume that now finds themselves in the very same place Jacob was. Let me describe it this way, and I'm, this is Dr. Raymond Ortland's illustration. Next week, Linda and I are going on our 20th anniversary, and we're looking forward to it. And, and part of our tradition on anniversaries at some point is to pull out our wedding album and to notice how similar I look to that day 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't carry the ice cream handles that many guys do on their 20th anniversary. I am in extraordinary shape at, at 48 years, and that's what she'll tell me in, Actually, it's far from that. But what we will do is we will remember the blessing of 20 years ago and all that led up to that. The, the, the 14 months of, of dating and the, the counsel and care friends brought to us in that season and the, 
and the, 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 the stupidity that I often show during that season and the miracle that she said yes when I proposed. And then having gotten married, God's faithfulness for 20 years, building us together and fitting our lives together and using marriage as a, as a primary context to demonstrate His undeniable love and faithfulness to us, despite, at least on my half, my depravity. But imagine... Imagine now, um, this is a scenario. Imagine that, that during our anniversary, imagine, this is imaginary, so for the tape, this is fiction. Imagine though that instead of that scenario, what we're remembering is that after the wedding and after the honeymoon, I put my heart in the hands of another lover. And I was unfaithful. And I was exposed. And I was found out. And God in His grace exposed me. And I went back to Linda and I asked her to forgive me. And I, with sincere repentance, I made restitution and and we were restored. That was like, let's say that was year 10. But then year 15, five years later, it happened again. I did it again. I gave my heart to another lover. There was treachery. There was deception. And over time, God exposed me. I was broken. I went back to Linda. I asked her to forgive me. There was church discipline, perhaps. There probably was. And she forgave me again. Welcomed me back. Forgave me. Canceled the debt. And then I did it again. And during that last again, that's when this psalm is written for Israel. They've been the unfaithful spouse. God's been the faithful lover. They in their treachery and deception have placed their affections, their allegiances, their hopes, their securities, their dreams in the hearts of another lover. Despite, despite being the lavish object of His electing grace and sovereign love and faithful mercy and undeniable covenant and irrepressible promises, they, today, when this psalm is written, have wandered from God again, just like Jacob. Now, I can imagine how I would respond... And I can imagine how Linda would be tempted to respond on the third or fourth marital failure. But this is how God responds in the psalm. What does God say to his people, to us, when we squander his grace again and put our hopes and dreams and faith in the hearts of another lover? He doesn't say what you or I would say. You know what he says? I'm the God of new beginnings. And I offer you a fresh start and full forgiveness and blessings again. Let's look. Let's look. See, see, when we read verses 1 to 3, they're recounting a time when God, verse 2, forgave the iniquity of His people. They're remembering how He covered all their sin. They're, they're celebrating 
how God turned away. Isn't that interesting? You withdrew your wrath and you turned from your hot anger. So in, in the same way that they turned away from him, they rejected him. In this period of restoration, God did some turning too. But he turned away from his wrath. He turned away from his judgment of them. He turned away so that he could say to them, I'm the God of new beginnings. I, I delight, I delight, I delight to restore you again. I believe the point of this psalm is not that we nail down what specific restoration Israel's history we're talking about, but understand that throughout history, things have gone bad. The people of God have wandered away again and again and again. And even after they have turned away from him, God gives his people a new beginning. He delights to restore us again. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I have good news for you. The God of the gospel, Jesus Christ, welcomes, welcomes welcomes you into not just this setting, he welcomes you into his heart because he loves to give those who have wandered a new beginning by his grace. But for many of us who are believers in that this original psalm was written for the people of God as church at that time, Psalm 85 is for you. It's for me. It's for God's people who in their journey find themselves, well, feeling feeling removed, feeling feeling that they have wandered, wandered from God again. This was Israel. This was God's people. And God's, God's people, it says, God forgave the iniquities of them. He covered their sin. Why does God delight to give us new beginnings? Why does God forgive us our sin? Because the God of all grace who gives new beginnings, that grace rests on the perfection of His Son and not your performance to offer you new beginnings again. So what is your story of grace and new beginnings? Have you experienced God's mercy and forgiveness even through repeated drifts? Away from him. Psalm 85 is here because after that wonderful restoration, verses 1 through 3, Israel broke away again. She got tired of her heavenly husband again. She committed a spiritual adultery again. She drifted away again. She rejected God again. How could that happen? Well, Perhaps are too easily. We sing a song, I bet you sing, that says that, that when we grow cold to the Lord, well, we grow cold to the Lord because it starts with that thought, does God really love me? Is he really going to take care of me? And we become restless. We start noticing all the excitement. We start feeling we're missing something. 
we start asking, is this all there is to a relationship with Christ? I mean, I'm confronting chronic pain. I'm confronting fill in the blank. Why can't we explore other options and have more fun? And so this song is sung probably by you. Come thou fount of every blessing. And in verse 2, it says something that I don't know that I've really grappled with sufficiently. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter, here's the line, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what that psalm is talking about? He's saying that in your heart and mind, there is something residing there that explains why God's people have wandered from God's grace and squandered His mercies for generations. It happens when we question about His care for me. It happens when we think other lovers, other pursuits, other people, other things are really more exciting. And, and friend, it's not like the list of other lovers says to us, give it all to me. No, no, they, they, just, they just promise, they just promise, they just promise, they say to us, look, cut a corner here. A little compromise there. It's no big deal. Keep it a secret, though. It's like the young kid who goes to college next fall, girl or guy, and they're not yet 21, but they're going to have their first drink at the, at the fraternity party or the, in, you know, if you're an independent, an independent party. They don't have that first drink thinking in four years they're going to graduate with a degree in alcoholism. Do they? They just say, it's been a tough week. I don't like to taste the beer, but I'm not really against beer. What I'm saying is that little compromise, that little decision can over time snowball well into this. So what does God and His great love do? wandering people. Psalm 85 tells us He comes looking for us to show us more grace. Having wandered away from Him again, God comes to us again, offering His forgiveness, promising, promising His love, offering to restore the fortunes of Jacob as before. Hmm. Can you relate to that? Have you ever looked at yourself and thought, I've done it again? I've wandered away from the Lord again. I felt so close to God last week, but here I am this week. And honestly, in that moment before the mirror of God's words, there's this heart-wrenching sense. I pulled away from God again. God comes to us in this psalm and He helps us because He wants to restore us. He shows us our waywardness, not to condemn us, not to push us away. But seeing our need, we will turn to him so that he can bring about the new beginning. God delights to restore you again. My second point, God revives us that we would rejoice in him. God revives us that we would rejoice in him. Let's pick it up again in verse 4. The psalmist prays for God's blessing in the present. 
And in verses 4 through 6, really, we have a prayer asking God to restore his people and forgive them again. Restore us again, O God, of your salvation and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Here's the key verse. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The sense is clear enough. The psalmist is praying that God would turn away from his wrath and in mercy turn back the hearts of his people from their waywardness. You feel that as as you read the verses, culminating in verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. What is revival? According to Dr. Ortland, it is God reinvigorating sinners. That is what the word revival means. It means reinvigoration. Who ought to know better by now. Let's say that again. What is revival? It is God reinvigorating Bauer Evans. Who ought to know better by now. It's God reviving you who ought to know better by now. It's God visiting us with more mercy than we've ever known before. Who needs revival? God's people do. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? No one is exempt from our need for revival. And who is the reviver, concludes Dr. Ortland? God himself and God alone. The word you in verse 6 is emphatic in the Hebrew. In other words, grace is to the undeserving through the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is who God is. He is the reviver of wayward hearts. Psalm 85 reassures us in these verses that wayward Christians, wayward churches, who are filled with wayward Christians, wayward denominations, who are filled with wayward churches, wayward generations, who are filled with wayward people, have hope. They have a prayer. They have a person to turn to in the Bible where they can say, Lord, you have revived so many times in the past. We never deserved it. Perhaps we deserve it less than we did before. But will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? It was a hard night the other night. I had worked out. I fantasized myself or imagined myself as a marathon runner, but after three miles, I quit and, uh, well, the race ends, though I do finish the race in my mind. And my knee this particular night was screaming. My right knee just felt like it was swelling. It wasn't, but it hurt. It throbbed. I went to bed. It throbbed. I couldn't get comfortable. I got up. I got some uh, ice water, went to bed. It still throbbed. I couldn't sleep. I was thinking, maybe I need to take some medication to fall asleep, but I won't. And I do what I really should unwisely never do. I went downstairs and I turned on the TV to get a sports update. Now, I have a short accountability list with a friend that says, you don't do well when you're up late watching sports 
late at night when no one's around. Because when those commercials come on or those advertisements at 12 at night, one at night, you don't fight the way. So don't do it. And I knew stepping into it. I just knew this is, you know, but I'm having a pity party. My knee hurts. I'm trying to be a marathon. I'm trying to lose weight for my my anniversary. I'm going to watch my sports update. And there came the movie trailer. And I wish they were celebrating purity and chastity. And but what they were what they were holding out there is crime thriller and sexual immorality. And in that moment, my eyes were all there. I wish I could say, having been a believer for 28 years, that's the first time. But I've been there before. In fact, as I turned it off and turned away, having been defiled and went to bed, I said, I've been here before. What were you thinking? I fell asleep. My knee still hurt in the morning. I got up. I reluctantly opened my Bible. I felt like I had just fallen which there was sin. And something remarkable, as I opened my Bible and I began to read the Scripture, rather than sensing God's condemnation, I sensed Him drawing near and saying, Bauer, confess your sin to me. I will cleanse you and restore you again. And and that, friends, that is the good news of the Gospel for the believer. When faced with that, oh, I did it again. Now, yes, does there need to be repentance? Does there need to be follow-up? Does there need to be accountability? Does there need to be change? Absolutely. But that's not the starting point. The starting point is God coming to me. Condemned, guilty, fallen. I've done it again. And what's he saying? I delight. I delight to revive your heart again. And I came out of that quiet time, having meditated on God's grace and that word, more excited about Jesus and the gospel, more free to confess my sins. I mean, I'm bringing it to the message, let alone to my accountability partners at home. Because God revives us that we would rejoice in Him, His grace, His mercy. And when God does that, He tells us in verse 8 what He says to us. Verse 8. God speaks peace to his wayward people. He speaks peace because he will forgive his people and reconcile himself to them again. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. This is what he'll speak. He will speak peace to his people, to his saints. God speaks peace because in Christ... God will not be your enemy. All your sins are forgiven sins because of the perfection of Jesus Christ and His atoning work on the Gospel. And so based on Him, when we turn to Him and confess what He already knows to be true, we are justified by faith, Romans 5 verse 1. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what should our response be? Our response should be to not turn back to folly. Verse 8, let them not turn back to folly. The Hebrew word folly doesn't suggest stupidity as much as it suggests moral complacency. 
For the Christian, complacency is the wrong kind of peace. It's the peace which God never blesses. While we don't deserve the peace of God and we can't earn it, we must desire it. And in desiring it, it leads to verse 9. His salvation is near to those who fear him. This describes the man or woman who, having realized her waywardness, having turned to the Lord and confessed, says, Lord, I can't live without your blessing. The complacents say with their hearts, I cannot live without the blessing of God. I desire it desperately. God will not overlook the kind of humility who longs for his blessing, having received his forgiveness, who yearns for his reviving touch, who sees the promise in the word, surely in verse 9, surely his salvation is near, and turns to God and receives new mercy. God speaks peace when we desire him. And I'm out of time, but were we to look at the concluding verses in detail, we would see that in celebrating the great covenant realities of steadfast love in verse 10 and faithfulness, righteousness and peace, the trademarks of God's all-sufficient grace to his people, the psalmist sees in these realities coming together being poured out on God's people, that God's grace will never end. And we, as on this side of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, my final point, this psalm teaches us to know that God's grace in Christ to you will never end. When you're in heaven and you're experiencing unrivaled blessing, at the bottom of it all is not your performance but it's the perfection of Jesus Christ and the grace of God given to you in Him that He in heaven and today as a foretaste wants to give us a taste of His steadfast love, His mercy in our experience as reality because He is the God of new beginnings. So as you think about your own life and where you are with the Lord this morning, perhaps... Perhaps you have wandered away from him. Psalm 85 encourages us to remember we are dealing with the God of the Bible. His salvation is near. He will give us what is good. Let us not turn back to folly and the complacency of our past. God is not a reluctant Savior. He loves us passionately. He's the God of new beginnings and he wants to give us more grace and all that he asks from you is will you ask Him for it? Let's pray. Lord, Psalm 85 reveals the truth about God's grace and God's character in ways that find their culmination in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray here this morning, we all would have a fresh experience of Your mercy and forgiveness and your peace because you are the God of new beginnings of fresh starts of unending grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.